Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. We're going to look at John chapter 5. There was a long reading or um, video. We're not going to do all of it. I'm just really going to look at the healing at the beginning. So the first 17 verses would be really good if you had a Bible in front of you. Um, as we begin, I'm conscious... Um, oh, can I just add my... Um, what's the word? I'm going to spruik Tuesday night with Warren as well. Luke's really fantastic. It'd be really great if um, we were all there saying, yes, we want this guy. Um, and apparently the more people there, the better, particularly for um, the powers that be, that would be really good. So jump on that. That's the first thing. Second thing is I'm going to talk... Clearly, clearly this passage deals with disability and um, that's not really my thing as an expertise. I'm very conscious we have both experts in the room on disability theology, but also as a community that we are... Um, we have many people who work in, like, the Hope School, for example, down at Wycliffe. Um, we've got this seminar coming up on Saturday. There is lots more to say. What I'm saying today is not comprehensive or systematic. It's just a few reflections on what's going on in this passage. Um, but... If you've got any questions, go and talk to Kirk. <laughs> All right, let me pray as we, um, as we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, that you speak to us. And we pray that you would, particularly tonight, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd give us hearts of compassion and openness and that we'd be willing to take on board what it is that you, want us to, uh, that you want to say to us tonight. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what I wanted to do is... Um, I just want to give you five uncomfortable verses in this story and then a couple of reflections at the end. Um, I know it was a video, so it was hard to sort of know where we were going verse-wise, but um, there are a number of deeply uncomfortable things going on here, at least for me, and I'm going to give you five. So the first one is verse 2. In verse 2 it says, By the sheep gate in Jerusalem there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades, and within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind and lame and paralysed. Now, this one probably doesn't strike you as one of the most uncomfortable, but that's because you're not Jewish and you're not first century and you probably don't know your Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem geography very well. Um, but immediately this sets up that there's a... There's stuff going on here about the link between disability and sin. And there's lots of sin happening, even already, just here, just in this verse, there's lots of sin going on. So, first thing to recognise is that 
the sheep gate matters that they're talking about the sheep gate the sheep gate was a gate in the old city what's now the old, what's called the old city but it was the city and the, the pool of Bethesda was outside the gate um, for most of history disabled people have been sidelined and pushed out and it was no different here um, and you see it all the way through the gospels you see um, the weak and the lame and the disabled, the outsiders are pushed away. And they're pushed away by the religious people. And that's what's going on here. It's the disabled are being pushed out of the city and they've been pushed to the pool of Bethesda. When we lived in Cairo, there was... Um, we would walk to school, walk our, I'd walk our four boys to school, and um, there was a young boy, he may be 10 or 11, he had cerebral palsy, um, and there was no space in Egypt for disability. There's no, no allowance for it. Um, and so what they would do as a family is they'd just, he'd be in a wheelchair and they'd put him outside their house and he'd just sit there every day. They'd wheel him out about 8 o'clock and they'd wheel him back in when it was dark and his job was just to sit there and um, beg for money. And that was his life. We'd go past our kids to sort of talk with him for a few minutes and play with him. It was sort of one of the highlights of his day to have kids. But that was it. That was his life. Um, just marginalised all the time. No allowance, no capacity, other than his opportunity to make money. Um, and that's, that's the history of disability. But there's more going on than that here. So the pool of Bethesda... Um, no, I'm not going to be able to say this properly because I, I don't know how it's really called, but it's, it was called, it was a Roman Asclepion. Now, Asclepion was like a, it was a healing temple and it was dedicated to the Roman god Asclepius, who was the god of health and the god of healing. So it wasn't just a pool, it was a pagan Roman religious healing temple. And so what you had here was you had Jews who were already kicked out of the city, but they were going to a pagan temple to try and find healing. Now, they were desperate. You get why they would do it. Their own communities rejected them. Um, but they, as Jews, were committing a sin. They were getting into idolatry. Now, the interesting thing here is who's, which is the worst sin? Um, was it the desperate people turning anywhere for some sort of healing, particularly when, they'd been, when the religious people were the worst at pushing them out? Um, were the disabled people the sinners, particularly when they were also told, well, the sin's on you. You're, um, that sin is a sign that you're, in some sense, under judgment. Who's the most sinful, the ones who are pushing away or the ones who are desperately turning to pagans? By the way, it's not a competition, but um, I think at least in this setup, the disabled are the least shameful. That's the first shocking verse. Second one is verse 3. Within these, around the pool, lay a large number of the disabled, blind and lame and paralysed. 
One man who'd been there had been disabled for 38 years. Um, and so the second shocking thing is just the existence of disability and that it's pervasive and um, it's long-term. Disability in the human experience is deep and it's wide. There's lots of people suffering disabilities and they do it for a long time, 38 years. And the words here, there's a lot of Old Testament stuff floating around the background. The words here that they're using are deliberately wide. They're trying to encompass lots of different um, disability. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. Um, they were picking up on particular types of disability that were highlighted in the Old Testament. And there words to do with weakness or it's illness as well. It's not simply, um, not sort of just physical disabilities, but it's illness. Blindness is a huge one. Um, the lame are literally footless. It's like a, um, you've lost a foot. And what they're tapping into is that this world is, in so many ways, and for so many people, this world is disordered. Um, one of this really, I, I get it, but there's a real sort of trend in um, the way that we talk about disabled people, a trend to sort of not want to say that there's something wrong here. Like Dylan Alcott's a great example, the tennis player, who talks in terms of, like, I'm really happy that, like, I'd prefer to be like this because of all the opportunities that it's given me. And at one level, I think, yeah, it's... We need to rejoice in the brilliant things that he's done. But if you're at a point where you think disability is a good thing, you're, you're missing what you've done is you've let go of the idea that God has created an ordered world and has created ideal humans and there's norms and he's built us. And this is a corruption. To be footless is a corruption. You've lost a foot. It's a disordering of the creation. Now... Other words in the Old Testament around this sort of stuff is to do with blemish. And we need to be careful. Words really do matter. And we need to use words with compassion. But we can't get to the point where we think that... where we ignore the fact that disability is... something's disordered, something's wrong here. Heck, this is a healing. Jesus heals him because there's something wrong that needs healing. So that's the second thing. And we shouldn't ever lose the... The, um, the sadness at that. We shouldn't ever be comfortable. I think that's okay. Third shocking verse, verse 10. Um, this is after Jesus has healed the man. We get to verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The Lord prohibits you from picking up your mat. This is like unbelievably nasty and heartless and it's stunning. Here's this guy, 38 years he's been disabled. Suddenly he's healed. There's no joy. There's no, not even any curiosity. Like it, it's a miracle. Miracles are just amazing. Even if it's just at a physical level, this is a stunning thing. They don't care. They don't seem to have any interest in that. 
not even slightly interested. No wonder. It's just a brutal, um, why are you carrying your mat? It's a brutal legalism. No compassion, just the law. They're saying, we couldn't, could not care less about any of your struggles, um, any of your separation that you've been outside the gate. We couldn't care less that you've been healed. We don't care about any of that. All we really care about is that you're breaking the law on the Sabbath. That's the big, that's the big thing here. We shouldn't ever underestimate just how nasty and heartless humans can be. A friend of mine was a doctor who worked in, um, this is in Melbourne, worked at St Vincent's Hospital uh, in the emergency department. And on Christmas night, every year, um, many, we're not talking one or two, many families would turn up and try and get their elderly people admitted into hospital so they could go away because they didn't want to take them with them every year. Um, this is just how people get treated. Um, we are nasty. And the Jews here are really nasty. Here's someone who needs a doctor, and what do they get? They get a policeman. And that's how religious legalism operates. It's we become... We're policemen and policing your faith, and that's far more important than caring for you. It's easier to see it in other people. Actually, a few years ago, I'm, I'm, I, again, another Middle Eastern story. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, probably 10 or 15 years ago now, there was a, a very famous case where there was a girls' school and it, there was a fire in the school. And the girls were trying to get out of the building and they were just sort of jumping out of windows and getting out of doors. But because they were panicking, they weren't covered. They didn't have their head covering on. And the religious police were outside pushing them back into the fire. Um, and a number of them were killed. Um, that's religious legalism. It's, um, they just needed someone to care for them. They needed compassion, but they got religious policemen. And that's what you've got here. So that's the third shocking verse to me. The next one is verse 14. And this is a bit later. This is at the temple. Verse 14. After this, Jesus found him, the healed guy in the temple, and said, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore, so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, this one seems really weird. He seems like Jesus is almost threatening the guy. Um, remember, there's this sort of, what's the link between sin and disability? And in a lot of people, certainly in a lot of Jewish imagination, if you sin, that's on you, that's your fault. And at first glance, sounds like Jesus is saying, be good or bad, badder things will happen to you. Um, but I don't think that's how to read it. Um, it is, there is a link between sin and disability, but you've got to have the right sort of link. Um, and very roughly, let me have a stab at it. It's like an... It's a you or a us... So in the Old Testament, and we've talked about it before, disability is a sign that the world is corrupted, that the order is disordered. 
And here's a really interesting thing too about, and, and again, this matters the particular disabilities that were being talked about. They were all visible disabilities. So for example, deafness is never talked about as a disability. Deafness does not disqualify you um, ritually. Having cancer didn't disqualify you. These were visible things. And they were, they were seen to be signs, signs that things are a mess, things that the world, signs that the world is disordered. So these are visible disabilities, but even in the temple, all these visible disabilities were just meant to be just another sign that there's, this disorder stems from a spiritual disability. That's the all-encompassing thing. Because of our sin, because of our original sin, because of sin in the garden where we turn against God, we are all disordered, we are all spiritually disabled, we are all corrupted. Um, and these physical disabilities, they're just one little sign that points to that. But the idea that, well, there's a disabled and there's a disabled, but I'm all good, um, that's a lie. We are all fundamentally disordered and corrupted. Um, disability is all our problems. I reckon a, a nice little illustration is what happened, has happened with COVID. Fairly early on, um, one, one of my friends is a chaplain with Anglicare, and he was connected to the aged care facility out in Western Sydney, the one who sort of had the f first outbreak where a number of elderly died. And um, it was really interesting how quick, in the early days of COVID, we were to look around and blame, it was that person, that person we blame them, we blame them, we blame them. Um, and even in, in the early days after, just in community, who, who do we catch it off? Um, but now, we real, now that we realise that this is a problem that we all have, virtually everyone's got it, virtually everyone can be carrying it. It's stopped being, uh, we'll find someone to blame, and it's just, well, now we try and care for each other because we've all just got to live through this. And it's sort of like that. That's, if you think disability is an opportunity to just do an us-them and to push people away, you have missed the point. We are all in a corrupted world. And that's why Jesus came. John, oh, let me read from Matthew chapter 8. It comes from Isaiah 53. But Matthew chapter 8. Oh, when the evening came, they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our infirmities. That's why Jesus came. Again, it's us. He came because he came to carry our disabilities and our corruptions and our infirmities. There's another beautiful thing about this story too. Not only is the, the, the temple at the Pool of Bethesda a pagan temple, the the, the thing that they're hanging out for is just uh, is capricious and nasty and unfair. It's a race to the pool. The idea is that some angel, demon, whatever, would stir up the water and the first one in gets to be healed and nobody else does. Um, where's the grace in that? Where's the love and care in that? And into this walks 
And interesting thing to notice, like Jesus again was outside the gate where he often is and he walks into the temple and he finds this person and it's personal and it's gracious and he heals him. And again, that's the gospel is Jesus coming and finding and healing. I think when he says stop sinning, I think what his point is, stay out of pagan temples from now on. You've met God, stay out of that. Um, If you sort of trust in paganism, something worse will happen. And the worst isn't that you'll get another disability. The worst, like he's saying there are eternal stakes here. There are many worse things than being disabled, and hell is one of them. Um, Stay away from that, or worse things will happen. Stick with me. In fact, as the passage goes on, we didn't, won't get into it, but that's the thing. Stick with me. I am from God. Stick with me. The last shocking verse, verse 15. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well, and therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. I always wondered about this verse. Is this guy dobbing? Um, there's certainly a lot at stake for this guy socially. One of the, again, the lovely thing, he goes from the, t- from the pagan temple into the temple temple. Like, he sort of realised, now I'm back. <laughs> Now's my chance to be back, accepted back into community. But I think for him, that's a fraught exercise because the religious authorities are still there and he doesn't want to get out with them. Um, I'd like to think there was just some enthusiasm and naivety and, yeah, it was him going to talk to that guy. Like the man born blind, similar thing. Do you want to follow him too? I'd like to think that. But even if he was just sort of covering himself, what you know for certain is how the Jews reacted. And their response was just to harden themselves into the us and them. And their lack of compassion, it then just turned into willful, harsh persecution. Um, they just said, no, we're, we're going to totally get into religious policing. And we'll, we'll make it violent as well. We're going to sort this out once and for all. And so, again, it leaves us with choices about how we're going to respond to a range of things, what Jesus does, disability. Got three things, three thoughts, reflections on how this um, affects us. And the first one is really just a call to, at all costs, resist being religious police as a community, as individuals. Um, it's quite easy, I think. You look at places like Saudi Arabia and you're, like, you can say, well, that's those extreme cases. They're low-hanging fruit. We're not like that. We, we would never do that. And I think it's true that as Reformed Evangelical Protestants, we are not um, so strict on policing religious behaviour. We're lower on the rules. Um, However, I suspect that there are parallels in the way that that certainly historically we've treated the um, LGBTI communities. Um, They've been 
treated without compassion. They've been given lots of rules and laws and commands and no compassion. Now, by the way, there is no, even for, even for the guy with his mat, that was against the law. He was breaking the law. He should not be doing that. Um, the problem wasn't that you can't have discussions about truth or you can't have discussions about um, what God requires of us or repentance or discipline. That's not, that's not the problem. The problem is if you do that without compassion. Um, love has to rule over all that. Um, Actually, as Reformed Evangelicals, I think we like to police beliefs instead. That's our thing. You've got to believe the right thing. Um, I remember, I won't say any names or anything, but I went for a sort of a job interview um, with an evangelical organisation. And the whole thing just came down to what I thought about women in ministry, which was really interesting, because this organisation actually had in their statement that we don't have a position on this. But I promise you they had a position on it and that's all this guy wanted to know. Um, and I said, well, I got a bit cheeky. I said, well, there isn't one, so I don't, you don't, I don't need to hear that. Um, he got really agitated. I had to believe the right thing on this. And, and again, if they'd had one, it wouldn't have bothered me. I, I have no problem having conversations about truth and about taking a stand on things. The thing that really annoyed me was that he, he actually didn't care how I'd come to my position. He wasn't, had no curiosity. Again, no fascination, no interest. Um, it didn't matter. It didn't care what I thought or why. It was just, you have to fall into line if you're going to join this organisation. Everyone falls in line here. That's what we're better at. So even, even when, and we really do need to believe things and we believe them firmly, but the model the Bible talks about is that we're teachers or we're pastors or we're mothers and fathers. It never says you're policemen. So no, don't ever be policemen without compassion. Um, second thing is... Just embrace universal disability, universal disorder. Um, Recognise that you are horribly spiritually disabled. And the us them is probably a great example of it. There's just one spiritual dynamic that, that's impact. The impact of playing us and them, goodies and baddies, that's damaged the world far more than any physical disabilities. Look at Ukraine, we've just... Um, before church about that. It's all just tribalism and us and them. Recognise your, your universal spiritual disability and that that's the fundamental problem and you need Jesus to carry that for you. That's the second thing. Um, last thing. And this will get to Galatians. We'll just, uh, we had a read out, just a couple of things in Galatians. Chapter 6. Um, and really here, I want to sort of end, end on a happy note, really. Uh, like I said at the beginning, this church, uh, these, particularly this whole community of churches, um, we do brilliant things in this space. And um, really... The verse I want to focus on here is, um, verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good, 
for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. A bit earlier, actually, here in um, verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. Um, this is what Jesus did. He came to carry burdens, and we're going to follow him, and we're going to carry burdens. And like I said, I think there's brilliant stuff happening at Aloar or at the Hope School or um, even just I look around um, and see in our services, in our gatherings. Um, so just don't give up. Just pray that God pour out his spirit on us and that we wouldn't give up. I know it can be easy to give up. Um, 38 years um, is a long time. A lot of disability doesn't go away. So we'll need to bear with it as Christ did. Um, but let's not give up. Let's pray that God would give us that perseverance and continued compassion that our hearts don't toughen up and they stay soft. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we see in Jesus a love and a compassion that heals and lifts up and transforms and brings life. And we look around in this broken world and we see visible signs that things are corrupted and need, needing restoration and, and redemption. And Lord, always um, let that point us to the deeper spiritual realities and that we are part of the problem and that we are all corrupted and that we need Jesus. And Lord, we turn to him tonight asking for transformation and redemption and, and please, Lord, pour out your spirit on us and give us unending compassion. We want to stand for truth and we want to call, um, call each other on sin and challenge each other and stretch each other. But, Lord, we pray that we would do it all with compassion. And particularly, Lord, as we um, care for those amongst us who have special needs, we really pray that we would do that tirelessly and joyfully. And we thank you for these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.